Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that move, I don't get hold of them. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we've got some more moves to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 235. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with a couple of guests this week. First up, I'll talk with Greg Cosell about a couple of the moves the Eagles reportedly made over the weekend by signing safety Will Parks and linebacker Jictavis Brown. We'll hear from Greg about what both guys have done out in the AFC West and how they'll both fit in the Eagles' defensive scheme at the top of the show. But that's not all we've got today because I want to roll out a conversation I had with Eagles legend Ike Reese. And this was a fun one. We recorded a few weeks ago, and this was just all about Ike's football life, his journey from being a high school player all the way up through the end of his NFL career and who impacted him along the way. Ike was coached by Nick Saban. He was coached by Jim Johnson, and there were countless of great players along the way that taught him about the game, both in college and in the NFL. And I just love hearing these stories from players and coaches about how they learned all about the game that we love. But let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into our chat now with Greg in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, happy to welcome back once again to the Eagle on the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, our friend Greg Cosell. Uh, Greg, w- uh, welcome back to the podcast, and uh, let's get into uh, a couple of the additions the Eagles reportedly made over the weekend, and we'll start with the safety, the local kid from Philadelphia, uh, Will Parks, who has been with the Denver Broncos over the course of his career, I believe an undrafted free agent. He may have been a seventh-round pick out of Arizona, uh, but Greg, what are your thoughts on, on Will Parks and what his skill set is? What has he shown on the field so far throughout his NFL career? Well, Fran, I was actually really pleased to see that signing because, as you know, I get to watch uh, tape from all NFL teams, and and for some reason I've seen a lot of the Denver Broncos defense over the last number of years. And I think Will Parks, you know, he's one of those guys that's an under-the-radar guy just from a national perspective. Um, He predominantly started his career as their dime kind of hybrid safety linebacker when the Broncos played with six defensive backs, and he kind of evolved to play more and more to the point where this year under Vic Fangio, he was playing as a starting safety. There were times he lined up over the slot. So in many ways, he can be deployed much the same way Malcolm Jenkins was deployed by the Eagles. Now, I'm not suggesting he's that quality of player because Malcolm Jenkins was a, you know, he's a great player. But I think Will Parks is a really good player who fills that role. He's long. He's about 6'1". He's probably in the 205 to 210 range. Um, he can play, uh, like I said, that hybrid role in your dime. And we know that Jim Schwartz has played a lot more with six defensive backs over the last, oh, I guess, year or so. Uh, he can play on the back end. He can line up over the slot at times. He matched up to tight ends with the Broncos, so that's something he can do in your man coverage concepts. Uh, so I think he's a, he's a really good addition given the way Jim Schwartz plays because he can fill that Malcolm Jenkins role. How does he fit, Greg? A few, a few weeks ago when we were out at the Combine, which feels like forever ago now, um, 
we t- we had a long conversation about positionless players. Is he a guy that you feel kind of fits into that discussion? Yes, for sure. And and as you and I discussed back then, and and um, you know, as I've been watching tape, and I'm sure the same for you, you see a lot of players now that as you watch them, you know, maybe five, ten years ago, we would have thought that oh well, they're not really good enough at this one position, so I don't know what they are. But that kind of player now has tremendous value given the amount of sub defenses that are played and the need to match up to a lot of spread formations where the tight end is spread and detached. So Will Parks is, is a good player. You know, I don't want to give the impression that I think, you know, he's an all pro, but I think his traits and his skill set and the way he's been deployed throughout his career fits very well with what the Eagles do. All right, Greg, let's get to Jatavis Brown now, the linebacker that the Eagles reportedly signed from the L.A. Chargers. Uh, I believe a third-round pick out of the University of Akron. Uh, You and I both studied him coming out of college, I believe. I'm pretty sure you studied him as well. Um, What what were your thoughts on Jatavis Brown, uh, I guess, coming out of college and then what he's shown over the last few years uh, with the Chargers? Well, coming out of college out of Akron, he was a fascinating player because he's short. He's under six feet. I think he was under 230 pounds when he came out. And... Uh, he was really, really good that last year, the tape I watched. He was very good as a pass rusher, uh, and he's very, very athletic and active. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he ran in the 4-4 range. I, I don't know if it was at the Combine or at his pro day, but he ran in the 4-4 range. And it was interesting with the Chargers. This past year, he played predominantly special teams, but he started in 2018. I, w- oh, I would say probably started at least 10 games. Um, he's a certain kind of player. He's really athletic. Obviously, he's not a take-on player in the run game. Um, you know, is that as important as it was? That that reasonable, smart people can discuss that and have different opinions. But he can be used as a blitzer. He's very active. He's very good in coverage. Um, he sort of would be seen as the, the kind of new breed linebacker. You know, I'm curious. if he, It wasn't that long ago that he came out, but I'm curious if he came out, let's say, in this draft, would people say, hey, he's a second-round type pick because of his athleticism uh, and his ability to, to rush the quarterback as well. So he's an interesting signing. You know, you, you're, you're increasing the speed, range, and athleticism of your defense. And I think you and I have spoke throughout the season when we did our weekly podcast that that's something that was really essential for the Eagles to address. Yeah, and that was that, honestly one of the things I wanted to ask you about was that you look at the all the additions the Eagles have made so far, and Dave Spadaro did a great job of kind of highlighting this over the weekend on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, was you look at Javon Hargrave, Jatavis Brown, Darius Slay, Will Parks. The Eagles got faster at all three levels of the defense over the last uh, week. Without question. Um, and and I, I haven't, again, we don't know till they play, but I like the moves overall. You and I uh, talked about Hargrave. Um, Darius Slay, of course, we talked about. Parks we just spoke about. I think he's a really nice player. And Brown. And and obviously they need linebackers. Uh, and he's fast. And, and in today's NFL, I think that's important. You know, the, the day of the, the sort of stacked backer who can't really play with much range, I mean, that those guys are hard to fit in today's NFL. So one thing about Brown, and he does have a lot of starting experience, is he can run, he has range, and he does have blitz ability. And we saw that this past year, and maybe it's because he didn't feel comfortable with the secondary. We don't know that. But Tim Schwartz did blitz a little more this year. So Brown kind of fits just in terms of his traits and overall skill set. Well, it's going it's to be a lot of fun to watch how the, you know the, this roster continues to be built. Obviously, a long ways to go before we get to training camp and the start of the regular season. Greg, thanks so much for joining us here once again on the Eagle. Line the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade.
Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him just like I do on Twitter, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and even leave us a comment. I want to give a shout out to someone who did just that. I asked you guys to go on and leave comments and questions, and you guys came through. We got a couple of good ones, so keep them coming. And again, if you've got ideas for shows, things you want to hear about over the next few weeks, uh, feel free, send them in, and I'll make I'll do my best not just to answer them here, but also make full shows out of them. So I want to give a shout out to Harris underscore France34. Went onto our Apple podcast page, left a five-star review saying, Love the show. Quick question. Why have we not talked about the linebacking core? I'm quite frightened. Help me breathe, guys. So uh, obviously, this was before the Jatavis Brown signing over the weekend. We just heard from Greg about uh, how he felt about Jatavis Brown. And I think he's a guy, look, that's got starting experience in the league, can come in, certainly can give you that, but also can be a quality depth piece as well. He's an athletic player, can make plays from sideline to sideline, as we talked about earlier. Um, so just to, you know, his addition certainly does help give that linebacking core a little bit of a boost. But look, just remember, the offseason, and it's it's the case now just as it was last Friday, the offseason is still early. There's a lot of ways to acquire talent. Uh, you know, the, the Eagles are not done yet in terms of uh, filling out this roster. Uh, the 90-man roster is far from complete, and the, the picture of what the 53-man roster is a long ways away from being complete. So uh, I know a lot of people are really you know anxious and excited about, oh, what, what are the moves going to be? How are they going to continue to improve the team? It's not all going to just happen over the first few days of free agency. There's a ton ton of time left in this offseason, especially uh, with these circumstances that we're all dealing with. It's a little bit different now uh, than it has been over, is really just ever uh, in the NFL right now. So, uh, you know, we got to be patient. Just kind of let this whole thing play out. The additions of uh, of both Parks and Jatavis Brown over the weekend, I think, kind of play to that. And, and, you know, we talked with Greg about how much Parks can come in and help and all the speed that's been added uh, to this Eagles defense, I think, is is a really, really big jump here for that group on that that side of the ball. So thanks so much to Harris for that comment. And thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's get to the next part of the show. I told you earlier, I caught up with Ike Reese. It's time for Ike Reese in the second part of Chalk Talk. Please be joined this week on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade by my friend Ike Reese. And uh, Ike, the Eagle season is over, but I thought, you know what, let's take some time. Just talk about the development of of the football player Ike Reese. I want to hear about uh, you coming up as a, as a high school player, a college player, as an NFL player, and kind of the different plateaus that you reached from a mental standpoint because I feel like that's the part of the fan, you know, for fans that they can learn more about the game. They can yeah. see things a certain way. They can watch all 22 and learn about it. So I want to learn more about your development in that area of the game. And uh, I guess that's where I'll kind of start is who are some of the people that, you know, in your mind really influenced the way that you kind of learned about the game and, and watched the game? Well, I had so many, Fran. Uh, I was um, somewhat of a late bloomer, late developer as a player, mm. right? Only playing one year in high school. So uh, there was so much I had to learn about the game of football, just not from a just from an individual standpoint, learning how to be a better player, the things I need to, to do in order to be a better player, but also just understanding the game of football, yeah. you know, why we do what we do, uh, what's the offense or the defense trying to do to you, why, 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 why 
Why are these concepts so important? You know, why is it important for all 11 guys to do their job and how they all tie in together? So I didn't know how to watch film, right? I, I didn't, we didn't watch a whole lot of film. We watched video when I was in high school. But Why did you only play one year of high school? Oh, long story short, <laughs> I was not eligible to play my senior year in okay. high school um, because it was my fifth year in high school. Got it. So okay. yep. um, I was more of a basketball player. Played football my junior year because the uh, football coach saw me, felt like I had a brighter future in football than I did basketball. Play both ways. Yeah, I did play both What'd ways. You play on I was a receiver. Oh, in the running shoot, it comes out. Yes, I never it, knew it, this. yes, in the running shoot uh, offense, I, I was I was one of the slot receivers. Does Mike Quick know this? He does not know this. I don't. I don't really <laughs> brag about it, right? I don't really brag about it. I think I only had three touchdowns. In okay, that year, right. so that's three more than I had. In high I wasn't the primary weapon, but I was a big target. Yep. You know, I was a big third okay. down possession type of guy. Right. Um, and it's funny because I actually thought that's why Michigan State was recruiting me and bringing me to to school there, right. and it was to play defense. And I wasn't very big in high school, so when I got to Michigan State and I'm looking at some of these linebackers, Rob Fredrickson, who was a first-round draft pick of the Raiders, he was the senior linebacker my freshman year, and he's like 6'3", 240 pounds. Right. You know, I was like 6'3", 195 pounds. Sure. So I'm saying to myself, y'all sure y'all want me to play linebacker? I'm built more <laughs> like the receivers. Right. They're like, son, you don't run fast enough to play wide receiver. Yeah, you're a good linebacker. Speed. Right. So here's the thing funny. I, I red-shirted, right? My freshman year. Okay. And my roommate, uh, who eventually turned out to be my best friend, best man at my wedding, my, my godfather of my son, uh, Reggie Garnett. Okay. Uh, he started as a freshman, actually won Big Ten Freshman of the Year okay. at linebacker. So we were roommates, and because I wasn't playing, you know, when he would watch film, he taught me how to watch film. He was a smart kid. Played four years in high school at a very good uh, high school football program. Right. And that's why he was able to come in and start as a freshman because he was so intelligent. Right. You know, running George Perlis's 4-3 uh, stunt defense isn't easy for anybody. I think he was the first freshman to ever mm. play in it. So he used to, when he would break down the game film, he would teach me what, what I'm looking at. Right. I know I'm just running around, right. you know. <laughs> Right. Just, just as a scout team guy, but I also don't really know what I'm doing. Right, and so he would teach me how to watch offensive linemen. You know how to read uh, the fullback. The fullback could tell you where the running play is going. Now this is back in two back days where it's three yards in a cloud of dust. Right, you don't had, see much of that anymore. Right, yeah. so you had a lot more pulling guards, pulling tackles, traps, counters, things of that nature, and. He was the first one that, I, that really could get through to me as to how to watch film so that when I was watching it, I knew what I was looking at. Okay. Prior to that, I would just be in meetings acting as if I right. knew what I was looking at, <laughs> but not really yes. knowing. Yeah, yeah, right. Not really knowing. So he was the first guy that taught me. And then I had, I was blessed. I had good coaches. I was blessed to be around some smart uh, defensive minds that as I begin to play more at Michigan State, um, and I was asked to do more, those guys helped me understand defense. You know, Hank Buller right. uh, was my um, defensive coordinator. And he just, did he just pass? He just passed, passed away, yeah, yeah, Dr. Defense. And uh, um, he was the first. And that was a 3-4 defense. So right. I had to learn how to play the rush in, rush linebacker. And we had, we had a position called the, uh, the, um, the joker. Okay. So – and that was me. I would line up in different gaps, and I could blitz, and I could rush. So I had to learn, 
you know, how to read an offense and find out where the weak area was there. And then playing for Dean Pease and Nick Saban uh, to finish out my college that career. That usually can do uh, yeah, some good things for yeah. it. <laughs> Nick Saban's a pretty good coach. So <laughs> I give him a lot of credit for me really developing into a linebacker that could play at the next level understanding the game to where I could play at the next level because that's just what he demanded of everyone, not knowing just what you and your position does, but why the defensive line is doing what they're doing, why their responsibility is that gap, why yours is that gap, where are the safeties going to feel in the run game. That's why it's important for you to stay in this gap and yeah. not jump out of it because somebody's feeling outside of you and he's expecting you to be in the inside. So is that when it clicked for you, like big picture-wise? Yes. So it was like Dean Pease and, and Nick Saban when, when that staff got in. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it because Hank just kind of – Coach Buller really just used my athleticism, right? right? Just said, you know, get after the quarterback. Yeah. You know, he's young. You know, we don't have time. <laughs> just let him go. <laughs> let, let, let him go. And um, that actually helped me out from a confidence standpoint. But in order to take my game to the next level, I knew I had to, from a mental standpoint, start to understand the game of football. And so – uh, Coach Saban, who can be very demanding, um, so I've heard. Yeah, it put it put it put the uh, put the pressure on all of us to understand defense as a whole. I think it's interesting because you know a lot of people were so used to watching football through that scope of how we see it on TV, or yeah. you know maybe you go, you go and you see it on person on the field. It's a different vantage point. But when you watch it via the All Twenty Two, you know I remember my first time watching it, and I I went into it thinking like, oh, like I, I know the game, like I, yeah. I I know football. I've watched it for you know my whole life, and then you first watch it for the first time, it's a different you, being able to see things big picture. Took a lot. It took years and years and years for me to kind of be able to see it, yeah. and I almost—I don't want to say I learned through like osmosis. I was around coaches, and they kind of helped me along. But it was—it took a few years before it like clicked, yeah. and I was able to see offensively and defensively how all of the pieces, all eleven guys, kind of work together. And you'll never watch football the same. Never, no. Right? Yep. And I've, I've never, since I left high school to go to college, and once I started to understand how to break down film and watch film, yeah. I've never been able to watch a game the same without viewing it from an all-22 standpoint. Even though you're watching it on TV, I'm still trying to see the whole picture. I'm right. trying to see the entire offensive formation. And that's the other thing. It's one thing to learn what you're supposed to do on your side of the football and how the other parts work around you. Mm. But you take your game to the next level when you start understanding what the other side of the football is trying to do to you. Right. And that's from an offense or defensive standpoint. Yeah. You know, the smartest offensive players know how to see that whole defense, that whole picture, and where everybody is going to be at. You know, when they say that's not just the responsibility of quarterbacks, right? And they tell quarterbacks to be able to take that picture of the defense, yeah. right, and know where everybody is at. Well, that goes for – the other offensive players, running backs, wide receivers, and from a defensive standpoint, you need to know what everybody is doing. It makes the game easier for you because now you can anticipate. Right. Instead of reacting to everything uh, a step or two slower, you can anticipate this is going to happen, and it gives you just a step or two quicker. So when did that, when you started to see it from both sides, was that still with that same staff, or did that wait until you got to the NFL? Oh, that was in the pros. Oh, yeah, that was was in the pros. Was that more like Ray Rhodes and that staff, or was it more Jim Johnson? More Jim Johnson. Let me tell you, I I thought I understood football, you know, playing under Nick and playing under Dean Pease at Michigan State. My rookie year with Ray Rhodes and Emmett Thomas as our defensive coordinator, we ran something called automatic fronts and coverage. So 
they would give you that call, but throughout the week and preparation and study, there's five or six calls built into the automatic fronts and coverage. So the defense is being called based on well, based on the offense. What the offense shows you, but it's happening in real time on the field. Right. So do you realize how many everybody has to know the defense? Like I can't rely on this guy to tell me what to do. Like we all have to be on the same page and recognize the same offensive formation and then be in sync with the coverage, the the run fronts, and everything else. And as a rookie, I just didn't play enough. That's like, a, I mean, I'm just imagining like the mental Rolodex oh, that's kind of like that's spinning in your head. Well, our, our two smartest players, William Thomas, Willie T. Right. And and Mike Zordich. Okay, yep. The safety. safety and Army, they were our two smartest players over there. They knew everything over there, and they would have to basically call out the defense uh, for the rest of the guys out there. But as a young player, not getting enough reps at it, I was never comfortable mm. with it. And so that was almost like a year that was almost wasted. I wound up playing defensive end right? Yep. Uh, <laughs> in that year because we had so many players hurt. But uh, I never did get that defense down. I never, I never right. fully grasped that defense because I just didn't play enough. And then when Jim came in. Different world. Yeah, Jim brought in a whole – but you know what? With Jim, Jim's defense was hard for all of us. But it was great that it was all of us. Mm. The one thing about Emmett's defense is that I was a rookie with guys that were already here who knew the defense. Okay. Who had been with those guys for four years, three or four years. So this leveled the playing field. Everyone had yes. to learn the system together. We all had to learn Jim's right. defense. So okay. we're all making mistakes. Okay. Got it. That makes <laughs> we're, sense. Yep. We're all making mistakes and learning it at the same time. And so and it was so much fun because it was an attack style defense. And Jim's concept was break down the pass protection. Right. And I never learned defense that way. Mm. So now you're taking it to another level of learning how to break down an offense, figure out a weakness, and everything we did from an attack standpoint was based on where we thought the weakest, the weak part of the pass protection was going to be. And Jim could call defenses to dictate to the offense to get us yeah. the look that we wanted. So he was ahead of his time from that standpoint. What was that like from a, a communication standpoint during the week? Was it early on where you guys said, like, all right, like, coach, like, this is the guy. Like, 78, <laughs> like, I want this guy. Like, I, I think you had told me before that Trot would come in and say and kind of say, like, set me up on this guy, A-gap blitz. Like, yes. I want this guy. Yes. And then Jim Johnson would say, all right, like, we'll, we'll get you, we'll get you, we'll get you. <laughs> and, 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 and that came with Tom, right? That wasn't yeah. in the beginning. That wasn't your one. No, yep. that, that wasn't your – Maybe all the way up to year two or three where, <laughs> you know, Jim wouldn't allow players to tinker with the defense. Okay. But by year two or three, guys knew the defense well. And the great thing in Jim's defense was he he could find ways to use everyone, yeah. right? So and, – and use them to the best of their ability. Give you a couple examples. I, obviously, you can only start 11 guys. But Jim would play – uh, 17, 18 yeah. guys right. on defense. So, you know, Al Harris was our third corner, but he was best at bump and run. He was not a good zone coverage guy, right? So you got to let Bobby go play in a nickel. Yep. Let Al play on the outside. Most of the coverages are going to be called man to his side. Troy, obviously, being the seasoned vet that he was and versatile, he could play man you know or zone, mm. and Jim could figure out how to call defenses to their strength. You brought up Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah is a guy who is better going forward than he is going backwards. So Trot, in order to take on these linemen in the run game, that's the one thing we love about Jeremiah, that he loved playing the run. Right. He yep. loved playing the run. He loved going downhill, smashing offensive linemen. So eventually Jim put in defenses where the middle linebacker is basically – an extra lineman. Mm. He's attacking the A-gap or he's a zero on top of the center. Oh, he loves smashing centers. Oh, okay. Yeah, Trot loves smashing centers. <laughs> they didn't you could tell him. on film watching yeah. him. That's oh, how man, he was. He loves jacking up centers. And um, Jim Jim would do that. And obviously we know what he did with Brian, the I ultimate mean, weapon. Right. Yeah, the ultimate weapon. And and even with me and his Oki defenses yep. and his nickel defenses, I played the Joker in those defenses. And listen, you're talking about a guy 220, 225 pounds. I got to run line stunts with the D linemen, yep. setting picks and things of that nature. And um, he gave me the confidence to be able to do that. Mm. You know, he gave me the confidence to be able to do that. And because I was – really a part of the D-line from a pass rushing standpoint, yeah. I learned how – I learned why you run line stunts up front. Who, so who helped you kind of understand that? Like, oh, Hollis. Hollis, okay. Yeah, Hollis was my teacher All right. in the inside. Hollis would tell me, stay outside. <laughs> Just stay out of my <laughs> Don't way. Don't bring your little you-know-what inside <laughs> here. Stay on the outside. Use that speed. You know, Hollis would have to tell me, uh, when we when when we had uh, calls that it could be a TE stunt or an ET stunt based on where the back was lined up at or what have you. When I was younger, right? You know, Hollis would tell me, "Okay, we got it right. Oh, it's, it's a Ricky Ricky or a Lucy Lucy." Mm. So he would have to be the one signaling signaling to me the calls that we had to run. Yeah, D tackles usually are the ones who call those stunts. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he was the guy that was helping me up front. And the funny thing is, I got better at being able to pass rush by helping Trey pass protect. Okay, interesting. Juan Castillo used to have me go up against Trey after practice to give Trey help with speed guys. Okay. If he was going to play a speed guy that week and they wanted somebody who could just, you know, hump the corner, give him speed on the outside – you know, Juan would be over there teaching me how to pass rush, how to get off. And working with Trey, uh, I learned things I could do with offensive linemen. Right. Right, because at first it was just use your speed to try to get around them. Yeah. And then it became, okay, use counter moves, use your hands, stab with the inside arm, and you may be able to get him with a spin right. back to the inside or an up and under move, you know. So um, it's funny, man. I, I was like a blank canvas that really soaked up a lot of tutelage from mm. coaches and players yeah. just soaking up as much as I could. When you guys made that switch over to Jim Johnson's, you know, you talked about it, it was, you know, Willie T and Zordich were that were those mm-hmm. guys for uh, Ray Rhodes and Emma Thomas. Who were the guys that from a mental standpoint just it clicked so quick with Jim and they kind of taught everybody else? Oh man, I tell you, Mike Caldwell was one. Okay. Yep. Mike was Mike was one. He was also Mike was <laughs> Mike was the guy um, who taught me how to be a pro and what it meant to be a role player and how, you know, 
you can play a long time. People don't. I feel. So I don't want to cut you off, but no, people ahead. people don't understand that. I feel like yeah. it takes a, a specific. Players, it takes man. a specific skill set. It's you, you may be a, an all conference player, four year starter. Most in college, of us are, <laughs> and you don't. Maybe you didn't play special teams, right. and you didn't play sub package, and. You know, and I never you, did any of that in college. Yeah, like, but now you come to the NFL and you have to do that. Yep. You have to learn and you have to embrace that role. Yeah, yeah. And, and Mike was the first one to tell me that. He was in his sixth year when I was in my rookie year. And um, he was like, man, listen, you never know when your opportunity is going to come. First of all, be prepared whenever mm-hmm. it does come. But then, you know, embrace special teams, but also find your role. Find a role. And it, I, it, it sunk in. And I kept working at it and kept working at it and eventually found a role in Jim Johnson's defense as a third down guy yeah. and played that guy for four years for him in that defense. It's not surprising that uh, Mike went on to be an NFL coach. Man, it's not surprising <laughs> at all because he was, he was one of the smartest ones in the room. Even though he wasn't a starter in their first year, mm. he was their third down back. He and Willie right. T were the third down guys until Jeremiah became a three down linebacker. Um, even Dalk struggled in, in the early uh parts of it uh, with the defense. Mm. Troy was obviously very smart in that defense. And uh, they brought in um, um, our safety coach now, the missile, Tim Houck. Sure. Yeah. And and Jim, he and Jim had a relationship prior somewhere else. I don't know if Tim played for him. Okay. Maybe in Indy. In Seattle or Indy. Yeah, or okay. Indy, yeah. One, yep. one of those places. Tim had played for him. And so Tim knew the defense. Right. And that was Dalk's first safety partner back there in right. Jim's defense. It was sure. Tim. Sure. So Tim would make a lot of the calls, you know, early on. Interesting. So um, from a special team standpoint, I think a lot of people and a lot of fans and a lot of our listeners look at special teams and say, well, it's just, you know, especially on uh, from coverage standpoint, run and go hit the guy. Like, right. When you first had to make that switch over, By how the way, long? That's what I thought it was. That's too. what I mean. How? When did that? When did that? You know, kind of light go off for you? Where? Oh, it's it's more than that. Like yeah. I gotta I gotta like understand my assignment, my, yeah. how I fit with my alley and my lane that I'm running downfield. When did that click? The first mini camp. <laughs> John Harbaugh. Okay, got it. And real quick, Ron Rivera was a linebacker coach, yes. right? Okay, yes. Gotcha. Oh man, Ron. Yeah, Ron was our our linebacker coach. We had such a great that staff is coaching staff, man. Yeah. Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, Steve Spagnolo, John Harbaugh, Tommy Brazier, I mean, Jim a, Johnson. That's unbelievable all of staff. I know that's crazy. It's crazy, man. And 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 it's funny because they were young. Right. Uh, Ron and Spags and Leslie, they were young. I think they were in their first year coaching in the gym. Hmm. They were so treated, they're all learning They too. were treated just like the players. They're all learning too. Oh, yeah. Jim would be out there yelling at everybody. <laughs> Coaches, players, everybody. Because they were learning the defense too. Sure. And they had to learn what Jim wanted yeah. out of the defense. So with, but with, with John, with, with Harbaugh, man, uh, I learned in his first year. It was his first year in the NFL as a special teams coach. And when he was coaching us, the the, the attention, the detail, mm. we knew in that in our rookie year, my rookie year, 3-13, and 13, uh, we knew that we were probably the second-best unit on the team, if not the best unit on the team right. of that 3-13 of and 13 team. And it was because of John's schemes, his attention to detail, how hard we practiced, uh, man, we practice hard. <laughs> and we were out there 45 minutes to an hour, and he didn't waste one second of it, and we were better for it. Um, he made me and others 
love playing special teams. What was your favorite unit? I think I know the answer to that, but what's your favorite unit? Of, of all the of special, all the special team teams? teams? Oh, wow, man. Oh, man. It, it would probably have to be – it would probably be the year – two. what, from 2000 to 02? The okay. years that B. Mitchell was here. Okay, got it. Because he was another guy who came in and – his personality fit with us. It, it fit with that unit. And he was our ringleader. And it was like he he made it fun playing special teams. When we when we went out there, we we strived every week to make two or three play, di- difference-making plays in the right. game. Yep. And back then, we would run fake punts, onside kicks, fake field goals, things of that nature. Um, we, we had all types of um, – uh, incentives to run down there, make tackles inside right. the twenty, big hits. Was all kickoff those coverage your favorite? Uh, oh, group no doubt play? about okay, it. Yeah, Hit squad. Yeah, okay. No doubt about it. And that's back when they still allowed four right, yeah. man wedges. Right. <laughs> four man wedges. So the funny thing about that, right? My evolution as a cover guy, and and and, and I talked about Mike earlier. He was our special teams leader when I first got here. Mike Caldwell. Mike, Mike Caldwell. So. You know, I was the young, wild guy that would run down there to want to prove how tough I am. Right. So Mike would allow me. Yeah, go run down right. there, blow up the wedge. <laughs> right? And he's making all the tackles. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, I get, the, I get the pat on the back for blowing up the wedge, but I really ain't getting the glory that I want by making plays. So it took me a year or two to realize, like, dummy, don't you be the first one down there. Let somebody else go be first. And the runner is going to break off of that. Right. And you got to be in place to make plays. And so by my third year, I realized that, yeah, it's all right to be the kamikaze. Yeah. 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 But they don't send those guys to the Pro Bowl. The guys that make the tackles are the ones they sent across the uh, water to Hawaii. So uh, with kickoff coverage, all those guys, they're not all, they, you know, as I just said, they're not all just running downfield trying to make the tackle. Some guys are contained players. Yep. Some guys have, you know, used to be able to the, the wedge busters. and you know, We used to run cross stunts. Right, we, yep. used to do, we used to do all type of cool stuff mm. with John. He, that's what I'm saying. He made it fun. Right. He made it fun to do. Like we were, we were run pick plays. Where you know where you're, you give a guy an opportunity to get down in front of you a little bit. He's knocking off your guy that's blocking you, and you're coming off his his butt. And now the wedge doesn't know who to block, mm. and now you got a free hit there. So we used to love doing stuff like that. And and the um the best thing about playing special teams back in those days is that the offense and the defense loved watching us play. Right. They they loved being in our meetings when we put the highlight film on from the previous week and John would show the big hits and all that stuff. All the veterans loved coming in <laughs> watching us cuz right, we we had the, we had the most energetic group of the three phases. Right. Like we were all a little off. That but that's that's what I mean you need that <laughs> yeah. because when the defense is coming onto the field, there's nothing better than when the kickoff unit is coming off and they just got somebody down inside the yeah. 15 and they're going, you know, bananas down there. And then, you know, same thing when the offense is coming on the field and they just had all kinds of juice because there was some big return or a big block on the exactly. return. Like you know, you give those guys a little bit of juice when they get on the field. And 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 back then, I know we had a couple of those years where we must have finished first three times mm. at least 
before I got out of here in 04 after the Super Bowl season. So in my seven years here, we must have finished first at least three times and mm. in the top five, I would say five times mm. in the seven years that I was here. We were uh, regularly one of the best, if not the best, special teams unit in the league. And that's why John went and, and got the respect that he, he got as a coach because he showed a decade of running a unit that produced some pretty good players and was always at the top. How early did you know he'd be a head coach? Kicker even wanted to make tackles. Akers even wanted to get in there and make tackles. How how early did you know that he was going to be a head coach? Ooh, I I think pretty early in his career. Um, I didn't know at the NFL level, though. Interesting. Because you just didn't see special teams coaches become NFL coaches. So I always thought, like, yeah, he's going to be a good college coach somewhere because he – he always had the college spirit, right? right? The, the ability, that energy, yeah. that energy, and the ability to get after players mm. like college coaches do. Right, yep. <laughs> I mean, right. that's what he did. He, he got after you if you weren't doing it right, and he wasn't afraid to get in your face. And I saw him get after starters when they had to pay attention for certain phases, whether it was field goal, field goal block, punt safe. If you were in a John Harbaugh meeting, you had better treat it like your offensive meeting or your defensive meeting. Huh. And everybody in the in the building respected him for that. All the players respected him for that. And so um, I knew that it, he had the ability to be a leader of men. Hmm. That didn't surprise me. And by the time he became head coach, I wasn't surprised at all. By right. then, by sure. the time, yeah, by the time he he got the opportunity to do it, I wasn't surprised at all. So, just from this conversation, it sounds. And tell me if I'm wrong. College, the player that inf- influenced you most was Reggie. Yep. Okay, yeah, that was your buddy, Reggie was, Garnett. Garnett, Reggie yep. Garnett. So, okay, so Reggie Garnett. Rest in peace. Yep. Oh, sorry to hear that. Uh, Coach wise, Dean Peace or yeah. Nick Saban. Dean Peace. Okay. Nick, and he's Nick's, still coach. I mean, he was still oh, coach. Yeah. yeah, right. Oh yeah, he still. I talked to him earlier. Yeah. Uh, this year, uh, the preseason game. Right. Okay. Uh, when they when they played Tennessee in the preseason, um, loved that dude. He, he was a he was a big help for me. He wanted me to be a coach. He's the first guy who told me, uh, whenever football is over with, won't you be a coach? How you liking that decision? Yeah, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good not being a coach. I'm good on that. Um, I do think about it though from time to time. Yeah. But yeah, Dean Dean was a guy I worked with. The most. It was right. obviously Coach Saban's defense. Sure. And he sat in on our defensive team meetings. But uh, Coach Pease was obviously the defensive coordinator. All right. And then you go to the NFL. <sighs> Mike Caldwell? Yeah. Yeah. Because I would say without Mike, I don't know if I would have accepted the role early mm. in mm. my career. Because I was like most young players. Yeah. You know, I'm a four-time, four-year starter at Michigan State, two-time captain, all that stuff, all, right. all conference, all that stuff. I'm like, hey, man, I can play. <laughs> I, I, want, I should be out there playing. <laughs> and so it can, it can get frustrating. But I realized um, he was the first one that made me realize what my actual dream was. Mm. It wasn't to be a starting linebacker in the NFL. It was to play in the NFL. Right. That makes sense. That makes so, sense. You know, and and that that helped me turn into a nine year career. So yeah, I would say definitely him. Coach wise. Coach wise? Uh, that's tough, man. I, I, I would say I would have to say who had the most, I would have to say John. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would have to makes say because I work with him um and, yet so intimately much, and you had the so most. much success with him. Yeah, yeah. And and 
he was the guy who told me my rookie year when I was having a tough year, you know, trying to figure out how to balance being an aggressive player out there, playing hard, and then playing smart. Okay. Right? Got a lot of penalties and stuff that hurt the team in our rookie year. And John was like, man, you got the ability to play in this league for 10 years. And you just you just got to harness it the, the correct way. Right. And we had so many one-on-one meetings. I was right? going to ask you, so you were a special yeah, teams we captain. So, you had yeah. those, right? Yeah, we had so many one-on-one meetings. And John, I've known since I was 17. Yeah. Since I was in high school. Huh. He recruited me. He was at uh, Miami, Ohio? University of Cincinnati. He was at Cincinnati, okay. Yeah, so he was a defensive backs coach there. And um, it, we laugh about this. We even laughed about this this summer when Baltimore came up here for the joint practices. Right. We tell this story. Uh, he was upset that I committed to Michigan State before I had the opportunity to take an official visit to Cincinnati. Mm. I had promised him that I would not make a commitment to Michigan State or to anybody before I take the trip. What sold you at Michigan State? Uh, Big Ten. Okay. That's where I wanted to go, right. a Big Ten school. Um, I, I just had a great, great time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that visit worked well for you? <laughs> See, that's what a lot of coaches like. I committed Saturday morning. I got there Friday night. I was like, uh, I went out. By the time I went there to see George Perlis for my one on one, I was like, hey, I'm here, coach. If you want me, I'm here, man. A lot of coaches in college think, like, oh, we want to get that last visit, last, you know, the last impression before signing day. Forget that, no, man. Get the, the first, first one, man. Get the first impression, man. And, and it was the only official visit I took. There you go. That's all I, I took. I had one set for Illinois, and I had one set for Cincinnati. Right. And I didn't take – and I had one for Ball State. Okay. And I didn't take them because I committed there. But, yeah, John, was he was not happy about that. That's too funny. And uh, it's funny. My senior year, he's at Indiana. Okay. And we play against each other. Right. And I hadn't seen him since our meeting after I committed to Michigan State. And he was like, man, I'm proud of you. You made the right decision. I'm proud of the way your career turned out. Mm. And I was like, hey, Coach, look, you're here in Indiana, man. (laughs) (laughs) If I'd have went to Cincinnati, you would have been gone anyway. You would (laughs) have left. And then, it's funny, we both wind up here. Philly, yeah, sure. We both wind up here. And he was like, I still remember uh, the meeting when I came from, from minicamp. The first one? The first meeting. And he was like, Took a few years, right? But I wound up getting you anyway, That's and too I was funny. like, "Man, that is crazy." So yeah, I would say yeah, he would have to be, he would have to be uh, number one, and then obviously Ron, Ron Rivera, yeah. um, and then Jim. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, worth a lot of. I mean, a lot of big names there. Like, man, I'm telling you, names. man, you don't you don't realize it until I start to rattle off names that I played for, but you know, watching Coach Saban, I'm like. That guy, yeah. Yeah, that dude. I'm like, I didn't know he was going to turn into that dude. Man, greatest college football coach ever? Wow. Uh, you know him when. Well, I appreciate the time here. Thanks for giving us some insight uh, wow, you know, into your fun. development as a football player. You. Uh, we'll talk to you soon here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. No problem, friend. Thanks for having me. Well, that was a really fun conversation I had with Ike. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. I love the story about him and John Harbaugh. I honestly had no idea that they went as far back as his high school recruitment. Uh, That was a cool nugget that I did not know about uh, with those two and their relationship. I I know that they're very, very close, but uh, that was a really cool story there that Ike was able to share. A lot of cool stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed that chat. Again, like I said last week, 
Um, you know, I hope everyone out there is being safe. I hope everyone out there is healthy. Uh, again, please be smart with what you're doing. Be sure, obviously, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. All of those bullet points, but practice social distancing whenever possible. Uh, we will get through this, but um, just make sure that we're listening to our local officials and doing everything possible to keep each other safe. Um, you know, all that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.